Kreusser, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach, including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveriad Recovery website, www.adveriad.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by The Living Room and at Veriad. Let's recover together. Well, welcome everybody to Recovery Now Radio. It's our second series and uh, I'm Julie, your presenter. And today we've got a great show lined up for you. Our guest is Natalie. Um, Natalie's speaking to us from um, Phuket in Thailand. Hi, Natalie. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. You're looking great there. Thank you. Lovely. Yeah, so Natalie's kindly come on the show and she's going to talk. There's sort of several addictions involved, isn't it? I think I think the main one is is was like a drug addiction, but there's uh, love and sex addiction and, and a food addiction as well, wasn't there? So, um, but you're going to talk to us all about that a bit later on. So, um, yeah, so we'll we'll sort of crack on, really. We were just probably just going to start before we play the first piece of music just talk a little bit just about your early years because I know drugs entered your life at quite a young age anyway so I just thought maybe we'd start just tell us a little bit about what it was like when you were very young and how things developed sure no problem so I'm American if you can't hear that already um and I grew up in Texas And, you know, I mean, I had a dysfunctional childhood like everyone else or like most people, (laughs) but I, I was a pretty well-adjusted kid. I was the best at everything. I got good grades. I was the best at sports. Um, But, you know, in thinking about terms of addiction, the earliest way it showed up for me was these monster crushes on boys Mm -hmm. at five years old. 
I had a nickname kissy girl because I would chase the boys around the playground trying to kiss them. And, um, you know, I was popular, I was self-assured and I kind of was a bully. I didn't realize it until recently, but I just, I made fun of people. I made fun of kids and stuff and it just didn't bother me because I was the one doing it. Um, and my other drug of choice before I found alcohol and drugs was books. I was reading all the time. Like even I would bring a book to the dinner table and my mom would have to be like, put the book away to eat your dinner. And even at that time at nine years old, I was like, I want to be a famous writer. I also wanted to be a famous actress, but I mean, I think a lot of kids think that at that age, but, um, yeah. And then we moved to South Carolina when I was 11 or 12. And that's when things, you know, took kind of a turn okay. where I just started feeling depressed and things like that. So, okay. Well, we'll, we'll stop there, Natalie, and uh, we'll play your first track, which um, is Boyfriend by Best Coast. So why did that one make your list? Well, yeah. And I love music too. Music is kind of a drug for me, or it's just, I just have always loved music. But in thinking about this, it's like thinking about, I just wanted a boyfriend so desperately when I was young. So this song encapsulates that. Okay. So that was Boyfriend by Best Coast. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by Living Room and Adveriad. Um, today's guest is Natalie. So, 
Natalie, that was a very sort of dreamy song, really. And and I think, you know, you're talking about reading books, like wanting pure escapism, probably, from the sounds of things there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, so you were sort of saying a little bit that 12, 13, things weren't going so good. And, and you know, I, I've read your bio and, and you, you hit the skids pretty early, really, didn't you? You know, mm-hmm. so, so please just, just tell us what transpired in, in, your, in your teenage years. Sure. I'll try and keep that brief, but all, most all of my alcohol and drug addiction happened. You know, I took my first drink at 14 and it was like a spiritual experience, like, you know, this hole I didn't know was there was finally filled. And um, so really from that moment on, my that became my priority. And it took a while to get started, but around 16, that's when I really kind of came into more full-blown addiction. Pot was my God, is something I wrote in my diary at 16 years old. I just was a trash can for any kind of drug I could find, I would huff butane, I would drink bottles of Robitussin, I would go to the drugstore, I took a box of Dramamine. I mean, I just, I did, you know, any, I did acid, I just anything I could find, I had no money. So, you know, and I had no real connections with older kids. So that's why I was just having, using all of these things. But, you know, 16, it was like daily pot smoking, where I just, I, I before school, you know, after skip school, go get high Mm -hmm. after school, just every waking moment. And then I got sent to two rehabs when I was 17, one after the other. The first one was 30 days. The second one was 11 months. And I graduated high school while I was in there. And we could have a whole episode about my experience in that rehab. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what I call it a Christian brainwashing 12 step, uh, rehab, like militant style Mm. rehab. (laughs) So Mm. it was pretty hardcore, but you know, I never had a problem with denial. I always knew I was a, I mean, the alcohol wasn't, you know, so much at that time, but I knew I was an addict and I just never was in denial about it. So when my parents sent me there, I mean, I knew I deserved to be there. I had totaled my car, lied to the police about it. You know, I mean, I got expelled from school, got arrested, just all of that stuff. So very unmanageable. That's real crazy, crazy, isn't it? You know, that that, that age you were, you were there, you know, like, wow. Yeah. Well, look, we'll play your next track, I think now. Um, so you've chosen Brain Damage by Pink Floyd, which I am yeah so um I I I love this record as well so please tell us why why did you choose this one well I mean when I think about music and when my love for music started it was with Dark Side of the Moon I was 11 years old and it was like a spiritual awakening and then thinking about my teenage drug addict years brain damage it's a perfect song yeah beautiful let's listen The lunatic is on the grass Remembering games and daisy chains and laughs Got to keep the loonies on the path The lunatic is in the hall 
listening to recovery now radio that was brain damage by pink floyd i think i was so wrapped up in that song i could have listened to it all morning i think (laughs) (laughs) such a good track so uh yeah thank you for choosing that took me way back lovely lovely song yeah yeah so so you come out of rehab and things not good i mean you know you obviously didn't do any work on yourself it sounded pretty horrendous the the, the camp that you were in so what 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 well what actually yeah sorry um I actually um wanted to be clean and sober I mean the rehab worked so I made a choice to to be clean and sober so when I got out I joined AA and I was 18 years old and I had a year sober and I immersed myself in the program and I got a sponsor and I worked the 12 steps and I went to meetings every day. And, um, I, I just, I wanted to be clean and sober. I was so 
broken from, you know, I mean, I barely went into what happened before the rehabs, but yeah, I mean, I was just so broken. I was, I knew that it wasn't an answer for me. There was no answer in substances, but, uh, so I had a solution and I felt happier and I felt better. Um, but then I moved back home cause the rehab was like 500 miles from home. I moved back home for Christmas. I was 18, started going to AA there, got another sponsor, but then I started getting my focus off my, I started letting the old story, well, not old stories, but just stories in of, you know, I'm so young, I'm so young. And yes, I knew I was an addict, but I'd never done cocaine. I had never done all these drugs I'd heard people talk about in rehab. And, and then I started going to meetings with a different focus of like, I want a boyfriend. I was looking around for cute guys. And um, so anyway, it's long story short, I relapsed. Uh, so I was sober for about a year and a half, all told with rehab. And I made a very conscious choice to relapse. And I just, I went out, I got some, I met a guy, got some acid, got a bottle of liquor, got a bag of pot. And it, it's just like a light switch flipped on, you know, before I activated the addiction again with the substances, it was, you know, I had this whole different mindset and, you know, a whole different me. And then the minute I put it in, you know, then, then there's this whole other life again. Now, not to say that there wasn't the mental obsession first that led me to pick up because we make the most insane decision of our life, hundred percent sober. So of course that mental obsession was there, but once, especially when I put the substances back in, it was like, I never quit for one day. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to maybe drink in six months or maybe just party on the weekends. It was like, no, back to everyday all the time use. And for the next few years, I mean, I thought I had experienced misery before. No, you know, we say like uh, our bottom has a basement. My mm. bottom had, a, I mean, every bottom has a basement. I, I, I hope I've gone down far enough, but I had to go so far down. Yeah, I mean, just the, pat, the, the last few years of my using I mean, there was so, so much that happened, but I ended up running away from my boyfriend I was living with. We lived together two and a half years. My parents hired a private investigator to try and find me. I was on the suicide mission. Um, I came back home. I worked at a pharmacy. And of course, that was the best idea in the world for somebody like me. And this was in 1998. So this was before all the technology. Uh, so I was able to just steal pills like I was a kid in the candy store. And eventually I got, you know, I always like to recap the last few months before I got sober because it's so freaking crazy. So December 31st, 1998, I got pregnant. And I pissed my pants, both of those things. It was the first time I had ever experienced those. And that was my, hopefully my last drunk New Year's. Um, then a week later, I steal this bottle of pills from the pharmacy. And then my, my, my dad told on me, they found the pills in the house and they told the pharmacy. And then that's how I got caught. So then I'm in jail and, um, and then I get this positive pregnancy test and, you know, I'm in jail for 11 days. I had 30 years in federal prison looming over my head, federal drug charges. So I knew, you know, I had a lawyer and she was like, you've got to, you've got to get clean. You're going to go to prison for a long time if you don't. And so, you know, there was something in me 
you know, I got out of jail. I had an abortion. Two days later, I quit drinking. I mean, this is the insanity of my life and my active drug and alcohol addiction. So that was February 1st, 1999. And that's the last, you know, um, that's when my active alcohol and drug addiction ended. But there's, of course, a lot more to the story because I'm now 45 years old. So, <laughs> wow. Well, look, let, let's just stop there. We'll, we'll play another piece of music. But what a story. Wow. Right. So your next choice of music was Acid Tongue um, by Jenny Lewis. So why this one? I love her. I love her voice. I love the lyrics. I love the song. It talks about being a liar. And even in my recovery, I've lied, but definitely in my active addiction and um, just being a liar. He took one look at my face and said, I can fix that hole in you. I beg your pardon, I'm not looking for a cure. I've seen enough of my friends in the depths of the God's sick blues. You know I am a liar. You know I Tripped upon the land till enough was enough I was a little bit lighter and adventure on my sleeve I was a little drunk and looking for company So I found myself a sweetheart with the softest of hands Let's build ourselves a fire. 
Well, that was Acid Tongue by Jenny Lewis. What a beautiful song. And you sang every word there, Natalie. (laughs) (laughs) I was engrossed watching you. It was was just amazing. Yeah, real good performance. Beautiful song. I love it. (laughs) So to pick up then, drugs and alcohol finished. And then yeah. And then the next addictions that were in the background sort of came to the foreground somewhat. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, getting sober was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I, I had been an alcoholic. Like I really was that my alcoholism really got full blown in those later years of 2021, 22. But that first 30 days of sobriety was really hard. I craved alcohol desperately every day. But I jumped back into AA. So whenever I got out of jail, I went back to meetings. I, you know, picked up in where I got sober, a white chip, you know, to say I'm going to stop drinking and using. But those early months, you know, it was it was really difficult. And I was in meetings every day. I, I just was willing to go to any lengths. I had the gift of desperation. I really did. I was if somebody would have said jump off a cliff because that's what I did to stay sober, I would have done it. So I had that level of willingness. I was just done. I was so done. But I say I have the willing to go to any lengths, but at the same time, you know, it's a very common uh, thing to suggest no dating in your first year or not make any major changes in the first year. So I was single. So not to not to get into a relationship. And my attitude was no way. I'm 22. I'm sober in AA. You're not taking away all my fun. And I mean, it, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I very quickly exchanged obsession for alcohol and drugs for obsession with men. And, um, you know, I, I, I immediately just had a lot of wreckage that I was creating out of that part of my addiction to where Maybe after a year sober, I went to SLAA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. I mean, I was 23 years old. Then I got pregnant. I got pregnant, not on purpose. Um, Yeah, it was not planned. And so whenever I found out I was pregnant, I was like, well, I'm not going to have another abortion because I don't want to use abortion as a birth control method. This was my thinking. So I'm going to teach myself a lesson because I I can't keep the baby. I'm single. I'm a waitress. I know I can't do that. So I'm going to give it up for adoption. So, um, you know, I was a waitress at a steakhouse, very famous steakhouse chain in America. I was active in AA. I was pregnant. I was going out every night with the servers, you know, the other wait staff till three in the morning, pregnant, smoking my pack of cigarettes a day, you know, just just being me. I mean, that was me. And then, so the baby actually at eight and a half months pregnant, he died. And, um, I mean, you know, he was stillborn. So yeah, that was whenever I was almost two years sober and I think I was what, 24 years old or something. So it was a very difficult thing to go through because I didn't know how to feel. I didn't feel like I had a right to grieve because I wasn't keeping the baby. My friend's friend was adopting this baby. They had, you know, it was already arranged and I blame myself, of course. Oh, I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. I drank a bunch of coffee every day. That's why he died. But really it was antidepressants. 
it was, I was on an antidepressant that now is not safe for pregnancy. At that time, it was unknown. And I knew that as well. It's like I had this guilt and shame, but at the same time, I had an autopsy done and they found he had heart defects, which was caused by the antidepressant. So I made it my mission to, for a couple of years, alert women that I saw that were pregnant, like, you know, get off antidepressants. But I mean, the, the main point I want to make about this part of the story is the way the women in AA embraced me the day I found out, you know, he, the baby, there was no heartbeat. You know, I was at the doctor, couldn't find the heartbeat. They told me the news. And, and my first thought was I'm, I'm getting beer on the way home from the doctor's mm-hmm. office. That was my alcoholic thinking. And then I had enough, you know, I had recovery. I had connection to a higher power to where I'm like, that's not a good idea. I'll still have this situation after if I were to get drunk. So, um, I remember, you know, I had to carry the baby until I delivered it for like 48 hours and the women of AA, they, they were all in my hospital room the night before, you know, my room was filled with these beautiful women from the program. And really that was my biggest lesson from that. I mean, one of the biggest lessons from the experience was the, the love of God through these people, just, it was tangible and it was beautiful. And I mean, I had to go through a grieving process with all of that. Thank God I stayed sober. And actually I had a friend in AA who I saw her maybe two months later and she's like, Natalie, I have news. I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh my God, that's great. And I said, by the way, are you on this antidepressant? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, oh my God, get off of it. She actually had a stillborn baby nine months later. So the, I mean, that's tragic, but the positive part was I had a very unique experience that I could share with her. And that's the beauty of recovery at all, right? We all have our own ways that our stories can help somebody that, you know, I mean, that's a very unique thing I went through and I was able to help somebody with it to where she didn't have to feel alone when she went through that. Gosh, that's so powerful. Such a powerful message there. Thank you. Well, we'll listen to your next piece of music now, if that's okay. So you've chosen Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine. Great song again. (laughs) Why this one? Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't fit with what I just talked about, Mm -hmm. but it fits with that beautiful energy of of the pink cloud of getting sober, right? And that Mm. those first few months of just everything is amazing. The sky's bluer. I don't have hangovers. I remember what I did. I don't have, you know, cravings. So that's why I chose this song. Amazing. Lovely.
So that was Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by the Living Room and Adveriad. Let's recover together. I'm Julie, and today's guest is Natalie. So another belting track there. Love that one. <laughs> um, it was such an important message that you were giving out there, Natalie, before that track, and um, that power of connection really with with other addicts and you know especially that bond with the women as well it re- really came across you know I think uh, how you did deal with it you know just shows what a strong individual you must be you know yeah very powerful stuff to listen to thank you so then please carry on now what what happened next Yeah, well, I mean, I kind of was thinking as that song was playing, you know, I had so many immediate benefits, that pink cloud that came and just loving life. And I've actually been working on a book called The Pink Cloud Effect, How to Regain the Joy of Recovery. And and what I found is, you know, my life up leveled quickly when I got clean and sober. I was in like a black cloud of addiction. And I went up to this amazing pink cloud for a while, but then I started, you know, then the the disease started showing up in these areas of obsession and compulsion with guys, with sex, with dating. And then when I quit smoking cigarettes in 2001, then the food came and I was dating a guy. And I remember he had issues with food and he was eating cookies in bed one night. And I'm like, why, why are you eating cookies in bed? That just was like, that doesn't fit. <laughs> you eat them somewhere else. And then I started eating them. And then I started getting into that habit as well. And this addiction with sugar began. And so what I see it as is like this behavioral addictions brought me down into like a gray cloud. And I, I worked the steps. I worked the steps at three months sober. I did a whole set of steps in the program, you know, the inventory. I mean, I did it all to the best of my ability, the amends, everything. But I wasn't really working with many people. You know, I could blame my age. I was in my, you know, lower 20s, mid 20s. But I just thought I'm not a good sponsor. I didn't mind chairing meetings. I like chairing. I didn't mind making coffee things like that. But uh, as far as like sponsoring or really taking other people through the program, I just didn't like it, didn't want to do it, didn't feel comfortable with it. So, you know, I feel like I didn't get, I didn't have a full recovery because I wasn't working the full program, but it took me 20 years to figure that out. And I'll get to that later. But, you know, I mean, life was good. It, but I was managing, I was, I had a level of happiness way better than in my addiction. You know, I I met a man in AA, got married, you know, thought that that was going to be the thing. But I I just was using people as drugs. I was using everything to try and fill a hole inside of me that only God can fill. So that that was kind of a lot of my story for a lot of my recovery was just going to meetings when I needed it do it like doing my, my version of recovery, not the version that's Mm -hmm. in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, it's like, okay, I had all this willingness, but then, okay, well, I've got it now. Things are good. Got, got some years clean and sober. So I can kind of take back the reins. I can trust myself a bit. And, um, that's a very dangerous place to be. So that's what I'm thinking about right now. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, it makes such sense what you're saying, isn't it? It's, you know, trying to adapt our own kind of recovery isn't, isn't what works, is it? You know, the recovery works, the, 
the the program itself is what what we need in our life isn't it you know yeah yeah I mean AA or whatever 12 step isn't Mm. the only way Mm. it's just the way that has worked for me it's Mm. all I know and you know as I've said like I have I've had a miracle happen with my recovery in the past two years as a result of actually going back to the basics. And so I totally know that the solution works, mm-hmm. but not, not my solution, mm-hmm. but the solution. So. And, you, and you were so young as well, you know, to be doing all that. I mean, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I was really proud of myself. I mean, it was my biggest identity was like, wow, I'm clean and sober and I'm 20, whatever. And I I mean, I was proud of myself, but as the years went on, then those years became a burden because I'm like, oh, here I am eight years, 10 years, 15 years clean. And I'm acting like a crazy person in these other areas of my life. And I should be better because I've been sober for this long. So then that became the, the story in my, as my sobriety went on in years. Okay, well, we'll stop there and, and listen to another track, uh, if that's okay. So, um, Someone Great by LCD, um, you've chosen now. So, why did this one make your list? LCD Sound System, yeah, because actually this one speaks to the loss of my baby because this is a song of grief and loss. Mm-hmm. It's an a, amazing song, so mm-hmm. that's why. Okay.
So that was Someone Great by LCD Sound System. Um, obviously a, a really special song for you, Natalie, there. Tell, yeah. Um, I love the way as well, one of the lines in it was, um, what was it? Um, I wish we could talk about it, you know, like such an important thing to say, isn't it? And, you know, you, you've been so, so open, so honest, so brave talking about, you know, really big, life-changing events in your life you know thank thank you so much for doing that you're welcome this song is really special you know I mean it even says uh I mean I I, I feel like they lost the baby I mean I feel like that's what the song was about because there's something about I can't believe it it doesn't even look human and mm -hmm. and things like that and just you know, it, it's to me, it's about the grieving process of after you lose someone very deep, like the coffee doesn't taste good, you know, it's sunny, but it doesn't even matter. So just that, that space of living through grief and living through it sober and clean, of course, you just have to go through it. So to move on then, the behavioral addictions now that, that you were having to deal with, how, how did you develop the strategies to cope with that? Well, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, you know, early on in my recovery, I really just went through this mindset shift. And I mean, I'm powerless, so I don't have power. I don't want it to sound like that, but it just like alcohol and drugs were no longer an option. So when that was off the table, then it was like, okay, well then, then what? So I would just turn to these other, you know, I would turn to compulsive overeating, you know, to numb my emotions. I would binge on sugar. Um, I would just, you know, my cycle was I would either I'd be single and I would be not eating. I would be like thin. I wouldn't be hungry because I'd be obsessed about whoever the next guy was or whoever I wanted it to be or, you know, out and dating and things like that. Then I'd like get comfortable in a relationship. And then the sex would end and then I would just pig out and I just would go in this very big up and down yo-yo. There was no moderation. It was extremes just over the years of that. Um, and then I got married to this amazing person. And I, and even, even on my wedding day, I remember thinking to myself, I don't trust that I can be, you know, faithful for the rest of my life to not, not him, but just to anybody. Like, I just didn't trust myself that I could, cause I'd always cheated. I'd always been a cheater. And, um, and sure enough, I proved that right after about seven years of marriage. I mean, it's a long story of how that all came about, but the bottom line is I chose very, just like when I chose to relapse it, you know, after rehab, I made a very deliberate choice to to go on a dating website. I mean, I made up excuses, but I knew they were excuses. And it, it really was like picking up alcohol and drugs again, because once I started going back onto those dating sites, it, it was just, I, I was not sleeping hardly. I was obsessed. I was just chatting with all these you know people all over the world. I was trying to you know, meet people. I just was, I was in another reality again. And yet I was married trying to act quote normal and have a job. And so I met somebody and we started this crazy affair and, um, you know, we lived in a small area. So it was one of those really, you know, things you see on movies about the sneaking around and all of that. And I remember at one point thinking, and I've, I've smoked crack before just to say, 
So I do know what smoking crack feels like, but I felt like I was on crack all the time because of just this, like the adrenaline of being in this, it was like an altered reality. And, and, and I had, I, I, I had no power and control over it. I just, I had to do it. I mean, I'm not making an excuse for myself, but it, it drove me. It, mm. it drove me just like alcohol and drugs. Mm. And I, I, I just wanted to be with this. I was cheating with a number of people, but there was this one, the, the main one. And I felt fell in love. I mean, I'm using quotes here and, um, you know, long story short, I moved, I moved to be with him. He moved to Asia. I followed him. I left everything. And this was in 12 years clean and sober. So I like to talk about this because I feel like in the meeting rooms, we, we, we only show one side of ourselves sometimes now, maybe not in a, you know, an SLAA room, but in like a alcohol and drug, like we, I think there's a lot of people that can relate to this and also the eating stuff too. And, and we just don't talk about it. Mm. And it's, I think it's very real for, for a lot more people than it might look like if you just show up at the meeting and listen. So mm. yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. And, and thank you for explaining that so well as you know, because um, when, when I st- first started coming to the living room, I, I never really heard or, certainly didn't understand what you know a, a love sex addiction was you know like it was just never part of my remit you know and it's it's only because of people like you that are, that are talking about it that have, have made me understand that it is just as any other addiction it's it's as powerful and you know as as devastating as as any you know yeah yeah Totally. And the food part of it. So before I had the affair, I mean, I was not, you know, I just ate. So I gained all this weight. I didn't ever feel like being intimate. And I just, my, the, the eating got worse and worse. I, I gained so much weight. I even looked at going into re- inpatient rehab for food because I could not stop eating. I couldn't stop the sugar. I was hiding it from my husband because he didn't want me to do it because it, it messes with your moods and it makes you cranky all the time. And it's like this, you know, mood swings like crazy mm-hmm. and I was hiding it. And, and so I was just, food was my drug and I was very powerless. I would throw food away and then, you know, get it out of the trash. And, and so then I would start having to take the trash out. And then it's like, there's so many day ones, just tomorrow. I'm going to start again tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And I wrote about that. And uh, I'm a writer and I, I wrote about that, like a never ending string of day ones. I mean, it's a horrible way to live. Well, we'll stop there and play your next track. So you've got everyone's a VIP to someone, the go team. So why did you choose this one? Well, whenever I was thinking about like my, my married life, it was this like really, you know, idyllic life and it felt so happy and good and I mean I say it all that I said but to say you know there was the good times and this song brings a feeling of nostalgia and happiness so that's why great
So we were listening to Everyone's a VIP to Someone There by the Go Team. Um, you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you by the Living Rooms and Adveriad. Um, that was a very gentle, mellow tune there. I enjoyed that. Everybody should have a tune like that in their life. <laughs> I think. What it was reminding me of is that the feeling that it evokes is like, and this is what I wanted when I got married and moved to the country is like this happily ever after feeling. And that's what I always was searching for, you know, but I can't expect somebody else to do that for me I've got to give that to myself through my relationship with my higher power so you talk in your bio you talk about having a deep transformation and a spiritual awakening would you like to tell us about that Natalie well I've had a number of them through the years of course you know but two years ago so I mean I the story just continues just this managing you know, being dry, not really having a, a, a program of recovery, but just managing and not using and using other things and just the consequences piling up, hurting others, hurting myself. And then two years ago, I was living in Bali and uh, went to a meeting and met somebody and he was like, hey, do you want to do a big book study? So for those of you who don't know, the big book is the name. It's a nickname for the book Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the original book where all 12 step comes from. Every single thing you know about it, it comes from this book from 1939. So in AA, we call it the big book. So he asked me to do this big book study. And I was like, no, I don't want to do a boring ass big book study. I mean, that was my attitude. Cause I I'm like, I've been in AA since I was 17. I know the book, I know the steps, I know the program. I had no faith in it. Cause I, I mean, I worked it in the beginning, but I just have, you know, it was mediocre. I did not, I didn't work it. And uh, so I just didn't think it would work. And I thought it was a waste of time and I just didn't want to do it. And he was like, no, this big book study will change your life. Like I always remember that. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, dude, if you think it's so great, like, I'm like, what is this about this big book study? So the next week he showed me something that blew my mind and changed my life. He showed me the AA symbol. The AA symbol is a triangle with a circle and it says unity service and recovery. I had seen that thing millions of times in my life. But the way he explained it, I had never heard before. And it explained why I've had the life I've had in not working the full program because he, he explained that, you know, alcoholism or addiction of any kind, it's a disease of body, mind, and spirit. There are three parts of the AA program or the 12 step program, one for each part of the disease. So when you broke it down, he broke it down like that. So we talked about the physical allergy of the body. We talked about how AA treats the body. You know, the, the part I want to say is though, when we talked about the spirit, if addiction is a disease of the spirit, what does that mean? Well, we call it the spiritual malady. Basically what I've been talking about, like this God-shaped hole and also like having unmanageable emotions, not being able to manage our emotions, feeling like a piece of crap, feeling like I'm not good enough, uh, negative self-talk, all of those things where I'm disconnected to God, basically. So how, when he explained that, look at this triangle and this symbol and this service, there's the word service on there. The service treats the spiritual malady. 
And what that means is when we do intensive 12 step work, when we carry the message of this big book study in the 12 step process to others, that heals that spiritual malady that connects us to God and it treats our entire disease. And when he explained that, I'm like, oh my God, that explains why I've had a mediocre recovery. That service side of the program, I mean, sure, I dabbled in sharing meetings and sharing my story, but I never did that intensive work of helping other addicts and alcoholics through the 12 steps to the level that it requires. So I had never experienced the full benefits of recovery. And so that just that blew my mind immediately. And then I started, um, I mean, I started learning more and going through this big book study. And that was the beginning of, you know, this, this totally new transformation, like you said. Yeah. I mean, I can talk more about it, but that's mm. where it started. So, so did, did you actually start doing things that you weren't doing in, in a, in a sense? Yeah. After that study. Question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, I mean, the study took a long while. So I went through the process myself with my sponsor. He took me through it. But in the, in the meantime, I started taking people through it, as many people as I could, because that's what it says in the book. We need to practice strenuous work, one alcoholic with another. We need to dedicate our life to helping others in this way. And so you know, it took, a, it took about six months for me. It really, when COVID started because mm -hmm. no, everybody was at home. All of a sudden, everything's on zoom. Nobody's going anywhere, doing anything. I spoke at a meeting. I was a speaker at a meeting and people like reached out. And then I just got this idea. I can ask all these people to do this big book study with me. So I just started asking and I've been in the program so long. I mean, I know tons of people. So if somebody popped in my head, I'd reach out, Hey, you want to do a big book study? I mean, I was just asking mm -hmm. everybody. And so, you know, that's, that's how it started. And that's how it's still going today, basically. It's a bit like we, we say, uh, you have to give it away to keep it. Amen. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we're, we're sort of on your penultimate track really now, which is a bit of a shame, but we'll, uh, we'll play this one and then we'll have a bit more of a, a chat and, uh, and then the interviews finish, which is a shame, but there we go. So um, your next track was House of Cards uh, by Radiohead. So what does this one mean? Yeah, well, and speaking about, especially the <clears throat> sex and love addiction part of my, my story, this House of Cards song is, is exactly explains what it's like to live in that state of living a lie, you know, all the manipulations, treating people as drugs and just, yeah, that's what this song is. And it's an amazing song, but it's kind of dark, the message underneath for me.
So that was House of Cards by Radiohead. So as well as doing the big book studies, you've also got a blog going, which I briefly looked at just before we went on air. So it was very much a sort of self-examination, and but a very positive message that you were putting out there. So would, would you like to just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it's just, it's me, you know, it's like, like you mentioned earlier, the transformation that's occurred. And so, I mean, as I said, I'm a writer, so I'm writing about it. And, um, you know, about a year ago, I, I was just, I, I work with a number of people. I mean, many, many people. And, um, and also I'm always open if anybody's listening and wants to do the big book study. I mean, I have to say that because that's what I, what I do. I mean, that's what's changed my life. <clears throat> but a year ago, I was like, man, I just feel like I found my purpose in helping people. And, and of course, in the 12 step frame, you, you don't get paid for that work. So I'm like, okay, God, wow, how can I get paid to help others in this way? And six months later, the universe answered by removing my job from me that I've had for almost 13 years. That was a paycheck that was a good job, but kept me safe and stagnant. So in January, I started, um, helping others, you know, in a life transformational coaching capacity, Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's just beautiful what's happened. And I just, I, I, I look around, I'm like, this is just my life. I don't work like, oh, do you need to work? I'm like, well, I mean, me being on phone calls with people and helping them and coaching them or doing the big book, like it's not work. Like this is just my life. Mm-hmm. And after being at that job for so long, it's been so amazing. And the other part of it is, is, you know, my sponsor told me, he said these other behavioral addictions, all this, this will fall away. He, he said the words fall away. 
these behaviors will fall away the more and more and more you're in this work of helping others. And it's true. Mm. I have been in like food abstinence for nine months. I do not obsess about what I'm going to eat. I mean, I didn't think that was possible. I really didn't think it was possible. I just, I eat three meals a day. There's, I don't eat sugar. You know, it's very simple. I, I, I don't feel deprived. I just have this healthy relationship with eating and, you know, I'm single right now. The, the, the relationships, you know, it's not like I have that hard line of abstinence, but I would say, you know, 90% of me is, is in recovery from that. Like I don't, I don't so much obsess about that anymore. I know that my higher power fills, you know, that void. And I, so I feel like I'm finally experiencing real recovery for the first time in my life, what it feels like to live this solution and live being mostly free from all addictions. And speaking of that, my sponsor and I just started a podcast called, I don't know if it's okay to say this or not, (laughs) maybe. Okay, great. I don't want to plug something else. Go for it. It's called <laughs> it's called the the Real Recovery Podcast. That's why it came to mind. So it's called Real Recovery, the AA Big Book Solution Podcast. So me and my sponsor, our co-hosts, and what we do is we have guests on the show who have also found the miracle of this big book study, who are also helping others. So what we share about is what life was like in sobriety before the big book study. So you heard that, right? All of the unmanageability and the behavioral addictions. I mean, it's different for everyone. And then what happened? How did this, you know, this big book find, study find you? Or how did that spiritual awakening hap- happen? And then what life is like now as a result? So it's really cool. And we are just, we're still recording our first episodes, but it's awesome. And I just feel like I have I mean, it's not perfect. I have bad days, but I feel like for the first time in my life and I've been, you know, I got sober and it's 17 years old. I mean, that's why it's so personal and moving to me because I've been around this my whole life and I've just now found the solution and that's okay. It is what it is, but that's my passion is to help others and bring light to, you know, just cause we have a clean date of whatever, 1999, it's, it's not all about that. And I actually changed my sobriety date too. I took 21 years off of my sobriety date in May of 2020, as a result of this big book study, I did not fully relapse, but just, I felt like I was restored to sanity. And there was some, like I did some psychedelics and a spiritual ceremony. I mean, I did these kind of gray area things and I'm not, making an opinion about what other people do. But for me personally, this was my choice and what I felt was best. Um, I mean, I wrote about it on my blog, if any, if you care to read it, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of, there's a little more to it than that, but basically I just felt like I was experimenting and I was in denial and that things that I, I, it was like suddenly, okay. Like why would it be okay for me to, to do some kind of psychedelic thing in a ceremony, but that wouldn't have been okay in year one or in day, day 30 of sobriety. So why is it okay at year 19? And that's when I was like, Oh my God, I like, I'm insane. I'm powerless. Mm -hmm. I'm just as powerless then as I am now. 
So I had a huge spiritual experience during the big book study. When we read this line, it's on page 31 of the big book. I'll never forget. And I, I, I let go of that sobriety date, which was, it, it was such my identity because I was so proud, you know, 22 years old, sober. So it, it was a very, um, so that's another thing that's changed. So, so yeah, so many transformations. Okay. So just, just tell us, um, Natalie, where people can find the blog. What, what do we, what do we do? Yeah. Well, my name, Natalie, but my middle initial M is in Mary. So Natalie M speakman.com. Brilliant. So so or on heard... Facebook, you can find my name. Brilliant. So you heard it here first. okay well yeah thank you that was that was that was wonderfully put I can't can't think of anything else to say really (laughs) other than that so so there's there's sort of probably one last question really I am really sad that we're coming to an end of the interview I mean it, it was an extraordinary life you've led and um and you look amazing you look so well Uh and and happy you know um yeah just just full of life so um it's been been a real joy to to do this show with you today Natalie thank you um but that yeah so I was the 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 question I always like is is what would Natalie now say to little Natalie little Natalie of what age (laughs) a kid or whatever you like (laughs) I mean, I would just say, like, give yourself a break, you know, you're doing the best you can, and it's okay to be human. I mean, mm-hmm. I say this a lot to people, I'm a messy human. As addicts, it's like we, we get so rigid and black and white in our thinking. And it's like, I, I, I have to be perfect. And I can't mess up like no, being human is messy. Like, so I would say to her, like, allow yourself just to be, be human and make mistakes. And it's all okay. You're not bad. You're not wrong. You're just human. Okay. So thank, thanks again so much, Natalie. It's, it has been a great show. Thank you. And um, I think we've got one more track to play, but yes. I have a, a few more thank yous just before we wind up. So um, thank you so much to the listeners for joining us today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as um, we have here. It's It's been a great morning. Um and thank you to The Living Room and Adveriad for putting the show on for us. Um, and yeah, please, please follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, give us some likes and give us some comments. You know, this is this is what we're all about. And uh, we're just trying to pass on this message of hope to, to people all over the world now. I mean, we're getting a really good international group going and uh, it's it's all very positive and, and, and that's what we what we want to do so yeah so thank you everybody and um yeah we'll see you soon but um our last track is um do you realize by flaming lips i i hadn't heard this but i listened to a little bit just just before we we went on air and um it is a sounds a great song so i'm looking to hearing looking forward to hearing all of it so why did you choose this one I mean, what better song to end with? It's just about life and death and our, that we're finite humans. We're only here for a minute. We're all gonna die. What are we gonna do with our life? Nice way to end. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay.
Yeah. 